Now it's time for us to begin. We would like to welcome everyone uh, that is here this morning. A special welcome to any visitors we have. Uh, we have the Fort Hill group uh, with us. Uh, come, come down for a gathering, get together. My understanding is that the uh, visit went well uh, yesterday and the groups and the events uh, all went well and, and uh, we're very happy to have you here uh, with us today. Uh, if you are a visitor uh, to our congregation and this is your first time and you haven't filled out a card for us, if you would, please fill out one of the cards in the pew, on the back of the pew in front of you so that we can have a record uh, of your visit. Also, uh, we have what we uh, commonly call Church Eat Church uh, today. Uh, we will uh, have our worship service this morning. We will gather uh, in the, um, down the uh, hallway uh, for our our lunch, uh, potluck, and uh, all are invited to come to that. Uh, even if you didn't prepare anything, even if you're just visiting, come. I am sure there will be plenty of food. There always is. And then we assemble back in here at 1 o'clock for our evening worship, uh, and then there will be no evening worship at 6 o'clock. Today, Cy uh, Wilson uh, will be subbing for John uh, Kelly as our song leader. Jeff Floyd will have our reading and prayer. Uh, James Ward will be in charge of the Lord's table, and Drew Clark will have our closing prayer. Before we begin, let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings of this life. We are in awe of the fact that we can come before you as part of your creation. We give you all the glory and praise and honor that we can muster at this time. It is with reverence, Father, that we gather here at this point to worship you and glorify your name. We pray, Father, that things that we do here this morning will be in keeping with your will, according to the pattern that you have provided for us in your word. We pray that as we live our lives from day to day, day to day, that we will use your word as the model for how we conduct ourselves uh, with and around others. We pray, Father, that we will always be the good example that Christ has set before us for us to follow and to incorporate into our lives. We ask that you be with us as we worship, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, let's stand for our first song. That's How Great is Our God. The splendor of a king who loved his majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wrapped himself in light and darkness tried to hide his 
next song this morning is 10,000 Reasons. 10,000 Reasons. After this, we'll have our reading and prayer. Let the Lord of my soul Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. Lord, we do thank you for all the blessings you gave us. And we can come here and meet with this congregation. We pray it will be with the congregation. Continue to be with us all, Lord. Lord, we pray for the youth. And especially this morning, we pray for those who are visiting the youth. And we pray that you will uh, take them home safely. We pray for the so many that's getting ready to go to college. Maybe for the first time, we pray that you'll you'll be with them, especially in this new phase of their life. We pray that you'll continue to be with those who've lost loved ones and comfort them as only you can. 
Be with so many who are sick. We pray that you'll be with them and pray, Lord, that they will get, uh, have tests, that they'll get good results. We pray that you'll continue to be with Chris and David and all the others who, the elders and the deacons and the work they do, and we just pray that you'll, you'll be with them, guide them. We just thank you for, again, everything you do for us. We pray that you'll continue to bless this church. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. Scripture reading this morning will be from Ephesians, first chapter, verses 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Our next song this morning is The Greatest Commands, Greatest Commands.
song before our Lord's Supper this morning is going to be highly exalted. Highly exalted. The Bible, many books, many chapters, many verses, numerous people we can relate to. Each one of us have someone that we can kind of uh, picture ourselves as, as far as there being carpenters, 
there's being fishermen, uh, some of the job duties that these men or women had. We all had someone in the Bible that we can relate our lives to. The person that I kind of relate myself to the most, as I do think most Christians do as well, is the, main, is the name of Barabbas. Barabbas is mentioned in all four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His life intersects that of Christ at the trial of Jesus. Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who had already declared Jesus innocent of anything worthy of death. Pilate knew that Jesus was being railroaded and it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. So he looked for a way to release Jesus and still to keep the peace. Pilate offered the mob a choice, the release of Jesus or the release of Barabbas, a well-known criminal who had been imprisoned for an insurrection in the city and for murder. The release of a Jewish prisoner was customary before the Feast of the Passover. The Roman governor granted clemency to one criminal as an act of goodwill toward the Jews whom he governed. The choice Pilate set before them could not have been more clear-cut. A high-profile killer and rabble-rouser who was unquestionably guilty, or a teacher and miracle worker who was demonstrably innocent. The crowd chose Barabbas to be released. Pilate seems to have been surprised at the crowd's insistence that Barabbas be set free instead of Jesus. The governor stated that the charges against the Jesus were baseless and appealed to the crowd three times to choose sensibly. But without loud shouts, they insensibly demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. Pilate released Barabbas and handed over Jesus to be scourged and crucified. The story of Barabbas and his release from condemnation is a remarkable parallel to the story of every believer. We stood guilty before God and deserving of death, but then due to no influence of our own, Jesus was chosen to die in our stead. In our stead. He, the innocent one, bore the punishment we rightly deserved. We, like Barabbas, were allowed to go free with no condemnation. And Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. As we get ready to partake the emblems, which the bread is the body, and through the vines the blood, which Jesus sacrificed, let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're so greatly hum and humbly bowing our heads, Father, thanking you for the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf. He died of doing no wrong, but just to save us from the eternal hell that we so rightly deserved. Father, for the gift of your son, we are so greatly appreciative. As we partake the bread which represents his body, Father, we pray that we do so in a worthy manner. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Father, we come to you again as we begin to partake the fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Father, we're so grateful and thankful. Let us keep our mind on Jesus and the sacrifice that he did for us. And through his name that we pray, amen. We now have the opportunity to give back a portion which God has so richly blessed us with. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we know that you are the good in the world that we see. Father, we know that all the things we have comes from you. And Father, as we prepare to give back, I pray that the givings that we give, that the elders Use them to further your word on this, in this world, in this community. Father, be with us as we give. May we do it from our heart. Through your son's name we pray. Amen.
you would, let's stand. We'll sing our next song, number 834. 834, Salvation Has Been Brought Down. This time the two to five-year-olds can go to the Children's Bible Hour. Jesus gave his life a ransom, your own Calvary, on that Calvary. Lamb of God, 950. Good morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 this morning. As you're turning there, I want to invite you again to the, uh, the fellowship meal we're having directly after our morning services this morning. Uh, it is always a fantastic time of fellowship and 
getting to know each other a little bit better as well as enjoying some food together. And so uh, if you are visiting with us today, and we know we have many visitors from uh, a lot of our friends from Fort Hill are here today, and so we're excited about that. If, if you're visiting with us today, we'd love for you to stay as well and join us for that meal in our one o'clock service afterwards. We've been following Paul through his second missionary journey as Paul and Silas have journeyed uh, from Antioch on their second missionary journey. We've been following them and meeting some of the congregations that they have founded along this, this trip. Uh, we've met Philippi now. Uh, last week we met Thessalonica and Berea. And uh, today we're going to get to meet Athens. Uh, Athens is a bit of a different city. There's not a Jewish uh, synagogue there. They are not Jewish. These people are, are pagans. They're Gentiles. Uh, and as Paul walks into this city, he, he looks around and he sees idols everywhere. Everywhere he looks, there's, there's a ton of idols. And he begins his lesson by saying, I see you're very religious and I want to convey to you the God that you are worshiping, that you don't know that you're worshiping. You've got an idol there in Athens that's labeled to the unknown God. Paul says, I'm here to tell you about him. And so he gains converts, folks are baptized there. Uh, and a congregation is founded. Uh, but we need to start at the very beginning. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he, he's had to leave his co-workers back in, back in Berea. And he's, he's fast-forwarded on to Athens. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? That they're trying to be offensive there. I don't know what your text says there, but my ESV says babbler. And that, that's the word in Greek that they're, that they're using there. They're, they're saying that he has found some of these concepts from other smarter, more intelligent people, more well-read people. Uh, and he has co-opted some of those thoughts and he's taking them and making them, uh, he, he's basically parroting what smarter people have said. That's, they're trying to offend Paul and that comes across pretty clear here. What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now skip on forward to the end of, of Acts 17 and notice what happens in Verse 31, <coughs> Acts 17, verse 31, at the end of Paul's sermon to them, um, this is what he has to say. In verse 31, he says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness and, excuse me, by, in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, that's a cornerstone of our faith, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's going to say, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if Jesus wasn't actually raised, then your faith is useless, it's futile, futile, futile. You might as well go home. You might as well, why would you believe this if you don't, if he wasn't really raised from the dead? Nothing is, your faith's useless. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our belief that he really did raise, that he was not in the grave that Sunday morning when they came to look for him. Verse 32, it's not the cornerstone of these people's 
faith. They don't, they don't believe in it. And in fact, you can see how they reacted to this resurrection. Verse 32, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. And I want to talk today about some of the gospel claims that our world finds outrageous. When Paul was in Athens, he finds the people viewing the gospel claim, the cornerstone of our faith, as outrageous. Hey, Drew, can you advance my slide for me? Something's going on with the PowerPoint. Thank you. Um, and so this, this tenet, this, this characteristic of our faith, when preached at Athens to people who have never heard of it or, and are not associated with it in really any way, they struggle to get over this concept. It's something that's outrageous. They don't understand it. And there are plenty of characteristics of the gospel today that our world struggles to get, that they find outrageous. One of them is the exclusive nature of Jesus. Can you advance it one more time, Drew? Sorry, something's going on with my clicker. Silver one? The bad one. <laughs> we'll go on. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay, good. So one of the claims that our world struggles with, that they find outrageous, is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's something that the Bible's pretty clear about, isn't it? In John 14, 6, Jesus is going to say words that you are familiar with. I know you are, because most of the world is. In this verse, uh, they trip up on because they don't view Jesus as the only way to heaven. But he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? Jesus is the only doorway, the only gateway to get to the Father. But our world struggles with that. And so I, I wanted to shore up our understanding of that this morning. Flip over to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. This is not the only place in, in John uh, 14 is not the only place where Scripture claims that He is the only way to get to the Father. He's the only way to get to heaven. In fact, the Bible talks about that in a variety of places and in a variety of ways. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 is just, just one of those places. We'll look at a couple. <coughs> As Peter and John are before uh, the council uh, there, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, early days of the church, this is what they say as they're, they're being pushed to stop talking about Jesus. Their answer is something very much like, well, we can't stop talking about him because he's the only way to salvation. They put it like this in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He, you have to get inside of him to be saved. In fact, in uh, 1 John 2, 2, John's going to say this. 1 John 2, verse 2. Talking about Jesus, he says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for 
the sins of the whole world. He didn't just come for a select group of people. He came for everyone. And so everyone that is willing to get inside of him, is willing to obey him, is willing to submit to him, he is happy to save. But you can't go through any other medium to get to him. Right? The only way to get to the Father, the only way to be saved, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. He's the only doorway we have to get to the Father. And so our world pushes back on that. Our culture pushes back against that idea pretty hard because we want there to be a multiplicity of ways. We want my way and your way and this way's okay and this way's okay. And that's just not what the Bible says, is it? It says there's a singular path and there's, there's going to be an awful lot of people that are taking the broad path, right? But those who find the narrow path are, are just, just a few. And so he says, you can't have it your way. This isn't Burger King. You don't get to have it your way. You get to have it his way. And so there's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And so it's not a topic our culture is comfortable with. It's not something that they like. It's something that they push back. It's something that they find as outrageous. Now, since the Bible claims to be from God, and in it, Jesus claims to be the only way to the Father, once I find the Bible to be true, I need to follow every bit of it. There's no part that I can leave out. Once, once I believe that God really did write this book, once I believe that it has been given down to us in a fashion that I can understand it, I follow every bit of it. I don't get to pick and choose which verses I leave out. I don't get to mark out. You ever done that? Marked out something uh, like on a, on a grocery list or something. I got that one done or I, I don't need that anymore. We don't, we don't get to, to take a sharpie to our Bibles and mark that little a little verse out and say, well, I don't like that thing. I don't like that idea. I'm not going to do that. That's hard. Uh, you don't understand that's, that's difficult for me. I, I don't get to mark out certain components or ideas in Scripture. I have to take every bit of it because it's from Him. This is His Word. And so I have to obey it. I have to submit to it. That's another thing that our world doesn't like very much. It's something they push back against. But that's a stand that his church and his people, you, need to take. This is something that we swim upstream. We push back against our culture on. He is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. This is his word and I obey every bit of it. And there's parts of it that are difficult, right? He didn't promise that it would be easy he promised that he would save us if we obeyed. That's a stance worth taking. That's not the only thing, of course, that they push back on, that our culture pushes back against as we're thinking about the church in Athens and, and the city in Athens uh, and how they have viewed Paul's claims of the resurrection as outrageous. There are a great many things that our world views as outrageous. One of those things is the one true church. They don't like that idea, right? 
Um, there are a multiplicity of churches. I think there's something like 38,000 or so denominations out there. To believe that there's just one true church, uh, there's no way that, that we could believe that, right? Well, in Ephesians, that is exactly what God believes. Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about there being one church. He's going to phrase it like this in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one body is how he's going to phrase it. He uses that term a lot in Scripture for the church. And in fact, the, the passage that Jeff read for you this morning from Ephesians 1.22, he uses that exact illustration. The church is his body, right? When he's talking about one body in Ephesians 4, 4 he's talking about the church. There's, there's one church that's pleasing to him and he outlines what that church looks like in scripture and that's an awfully hard stance for for our culture for our generation our world to take i don't like that that seems outrageous how how can you know the truth because i've read it god wrote a book and if you can read it too and we can come to the same conclusions because this is this is truth and so there are a great many aspects of this that our culture will push back against. Many will say that it doesn't matter how you worship as long as you worship, as long as your worship is heartfelt, right? Well, Jesus would have something to say about that, wouldn't he? In John chapter 4, verse 24, when he's talking to the woman at the well, he says, do you remember? You have to worship in spirit and in truth. Truth is a necessity here. We have to worship the way that he has said to worship, and that's not something our culture likes. It's something that they view as outrageous. That's something that we should be taking a stance on. Certainly people in the past have pushed back against that, pushed back against God's specificity in worship. In Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu push back against God's specificity in worship, and you know what happens? They're condemned. They're, they're killed. Because they push back. They, they don't offer him the type of worship that he had authorized, that he had okayed. And so our world as, as our generation is pushing back against this idea that there's one true church. The Bible seems pretty clear. There is one church that is faithful to God and it's the one that is following his teaching. The one that does what he says, the one who submits to him in every aspect, worship just being one of them. Many will say that you get to choose whenever you get to take the Lord's Supper and however you would like to take it. If you want to take it once a quarter and you want to use um, some other type of, of juice other than fruit of the vine, that's, that's fine. That's your prerogative. You get to, to do that. That's just not what the Bible teaches, is it? In Acts 20, verse 7, we learn that Paul uh, comes to Troas and he's there on Sunday and he takes the Lord's Supper on Sunday and so we get to remember Jesus's sacrifice every single Sunday as we take the Lord's Supper it's a way of reminding ourselves of this sacrifice that he now can pass over our sins because of our being washed in his blood that's not something our world likes but it's something that we should be taking a stand on Many will say that it doesn't matter how you're saved, but the Bible says that that's the most important question you could ever answer, right? Many would say that 
the, the, you, can, you can be saved however you want to be saved, however you think is right. Uh, in fact, many have, have formulated um, a different type of salvation, one that's not found in Scripture. You, you could just say a prayer. Well, that's fine, but where's that prayer at in Scripture? And how do I know that God will make that salvation true? Because I can't find that, that, that prayer in Scripture. The sinner's prayer, I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. What I do see in Scripture is him saying that I need to repent of my sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins and then live a faithful life. That's repeatedly how he says that I need to be saved. And so that's something that our world doesn't like, but it's something that's worth taking a stand on. When you meet Paul in the city of Athens everybody's against him. He doesn't have a single friend in the city. All of his friends are back in Thessalonica and Berea, right? <coughs> and as he starts talking, most of the people don't want to listen and they ridicule and push back hard against him. It's hard to live in a culture like that, but you and I get to do that. And so we get to take a similar stance as Paul in Athens. I see you're a very religious world. I see you like to worship a variety of different gods. Money, sex, power, fame. I see you're very religious. Well, let me tell you about the one true God because he's worth taking a stance on. Many will say it doesn't matter which gender is allowed to teach the church at large. And that's just not what the Bible teaches, is it? You turn back to 1 Timothy Chapter 2, you'll find that God has ordained that men teach and that women learn in submission. And so this is not a popular concept in our world, but it is what the Bible teaches, and it's worth taking a stance on. There is one church. Not a popular stance in our world, but it is something that's worth taking a stance on. Our exclusive relationship with Jesus is another one of those things that people don't seem to like in our culture. You can be a cultural Christian and they be fine with you. The problem comes in when you are completely devoted to him. When it begins your Christianity, when it begins to change how you act and how you think, they're going to start pushing back against you, aren't they? And some of you have experienced that, right? When you are devoted to Him, people start pushing back against you, don't they? Because your life is indicting theirs. They don't like that. But we live with a focus on purity. Flip over to Philippians chapter 4. We live with a focus on purity, not just against lust, that included, but with a, a focus on purity as a, as a whole, um, my mind is not divided. Um, I want what he wants, and I, I'm sold out to that idea. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. If you're thinking about those things, the world's going to push back against you. 
They're not going to like that. Because our lives indict theirs. If we're careful with the type of content that we take in through movies or media or friends, there's going to be pushback, isn't there? If we're careful with who we allow to influence our lives, there's going to be pushback there, isn't there? If you're losing friendships because people's lives are not in step with the truth of the gospel and they are dragging you down, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good morals, right? And so if you're losing friendships over the gospel, the world is going to push back against you. But these things are worth taking a stance on. We live with a dedication to truth. We can't tolerate the things that the world loves. Our world loves an awful lot of things that God hates, right? We can't tolerate those things. We can't love those things. As we've seen in our study of the book of Revelation, the churches that that we deal with there, doctrine matters and Jesus holds them accountable for how they live. Flip over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Verse 5. Another one of the things that we take stances on that's worth taking a stance on is consistency. We live with consistency. Not only do we live with purity, not only do we live with a dedication to the truth, but we live with consistency. At least we try to. And that's a problem for our world. They don't, they don't like that. Remember, if you can just be a cultural Christian, if you can just wear the name tag, if you, you get the shirt and you got the placard in your house about the verse, you know, um, those things are fine. But when your Christianity actually starts affecting your life and it changes who you are and how you think and how you act, there's going to be pushback against that. And the more consistent you are, the more pushback is there's going to be. Listen to what he says in Psalm 119, verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. The psalmist wants to be consistent in keeping God's laws and keeping his doctrines. He wants con- to be consistent. We struggle with consistency. It's easy to follow sometimes. It's easy to be devoted even sometimes, right? The problem is being devoted all the time. But that's the goal. That's the stance that we take. That's a hill worth dying on. We live with consistency. Regular obedience is what we long for. And so these are things that we stand for, right? The cornerstone of our faith is the resurrection. People mock that in In Athens, they mock it today. They'll mock all the things that we stand for, but it doesn't make those things not worth standing for. It doesn't make them wrong. He's always right. Let every man be a liar, but let God be right. Right? If you're struggling this morning because our culture is so against the biblical statue, the biblical model, it's easy for us to struggle. And so we want to be there for you, to, for you to lean on, for you to, to, to find strength from. 
If you're struggling this morning, we want to pray for you and we want to be there with you to hold you up as you try to be pleasing to God. Maybe you need to be baptized into Christ this morning to have your sins washed away, to take up His mantle, to take up this responsibility to teach the world about Him and to live a pure life that's consistently following Him, dedicated to truth. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Good morning, church family. Hope everyone is doing all right this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take out a moment to fill out a visitor card, um, the visitor cards are right there in front of you, in the pew in front of you, uh, and placed in a black box. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. Um, as Rick noted earlier, that today is a potluck Sunday. Uh, we have plenty of food. Um, love for you to stay stick around so we can get to know everybody fellowship with one another uh, it's so important that we do that uh, together as a church family and um, also uh, uh, there will be no six o'clock service one o'clock service only no Wingate and I, I can't read lips I'm sorry 
Okay, group, thank you. Group one has responsibility of setup and cleanup um, for the pot lot. Thank you, Rick, sorry. Um, also, uh, this coming Wednesday, August 2nd, will be Stepping Stone Supper at 5.30. Spaghetti is on the menu for that, and all donations uh, help out our mission fund uh, with that. So please uh, come for the spaghetti dinner on August 2nd. Um, also, August 22nd will be Young at Heart. Uh, we are planning on meeting here at the building at 10.30 in the morning and heading to China 1 in Gallipolis. Also, this coming Tuesday, August 1st, will be a mystery uh, trip for the kids and a short devotional. Uh, all the kids are being asked to wear athletic clothing and bring $10. I don't know where you're going. It's a mystery, so ask Chris if you want to know. Um, but uh, it's a mystery trip, so and the bus will be leaving at 3 o'clock. Also, next, the following Tuesday, August 8th, the boys will meet at the Knapp's house, and the girls will meet at Portia Davis's house for a pool party and hot dogs. And then on August 11th through the 12th, that's a Friday and Saturday, there's a camp out at Beach Fork, and the cost for that is $16. Updates are on our prayer list. Remember to continue to keep John Klein in your prayers. Uh, John um, had a heart valve replacement, um, and more tests are being done on August 14th, so keep John Klein in your prayers. Keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers, and Sean Maynard, and Jim Haney, and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they're going through cancer. Uh, keep their family and the doctors and nurses who are taking care of them in your prayers at this time. Uh, keep Debbie uh, Townsend in your prayers. That's Chris's mother. Uh, she's now back at home, but keep her in your prayers as she recovers. Uh, keep Gail Hewitt in your prayers as well. She was taken to St. Mary's uh, yesterday. Um, uh, just keep her in her prayers that uh, she gets well soon. Uh, Tim told me this morning um, they, they're running a bunch of tests on her right now. Um, also, remember to continue to keep Joe and Sandy's uh, granddaughter in your prayers. Uh, she's suffering through diabetes at this time, going through diabetes. Uh, she's 11 years old, so keep her in your prayers as well. Um, and also, uh, one quick important announcement. Um, after closing prayer, after closing prayer, um, please uh, sit back down, and there will be a short announcement. Um, something we do every single year um, with, with, through the state. Uh, Casey will have a quick announcement uh, for that. But um, So after closing prayers, sit down, and there will be a uh, quick uh, announcement. Thank you very much. If you would, let's stand again, and we'll sing our final song. It's a mansion, robe, and crown. <coughs> mansion, robe, and crown. I'm gonna train my empty home for a better one right there. Christ left to prepare a mansion for children in the air. I'll join him in the land where tears nor sorrow can be found. And I'll see my mansion
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us to come here and sing praises to you and study your word. Father, we pray as, as we go into the week, uh, into this week, that we lead lives that are pleasing unto you and that we'll make decisions that, that would be in, in a way that, that you would desire. Father, we pray a special prayer for those who are sick and may not have been here and been able to worship with us. We also pray for those who, who have maybe decided not to come here and and sing praises to you. Father, as we do depart, um, we pray that you'll watch over us and keep us safe. We also pray that you will bless this meal that we are about to partake of. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Real quick, because I know I'm all that's between everybody and Pollock. Um, so, scripturally, the men that we appoint to tend to the spiritual needs of the church, govern the affairs of the church, towards that end are elders. Scripture uses the word elders, that's what we use. Uh, the state law uses the word trustees. Um, so if we have elders and the state wants to see trustees, sometimes that causes issues in getting some random bureaucrat to understand that an elder serves the same role as a trustee. So what we need to do right now, and we do this every year, is just hold a vote to designate our elders. They're still going to be elders, but they're also going to serve as the trustees, which the state wants to see. Um, and those five men, um, Jerry Stevens, Gary Lee, Jeremy Miller, Rick Keister, and Mike Williams. So by show of hands, uh, we'd like to have a vote that these five men who are are the elders are also going to serve as trustees. You raise your hand if you're in favor of that. Okay. Anybody oppose that? All right. That's all we need. Meeting adjourned. Go eat. <laughs>